0: Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I will take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll update you on the Sexual Abuse Summit, along with Cardinal Pell and the Vatican's Secret Archives. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Hello from New York, Jerry.
1: Good afternoon from Rome, Colleen. And again, sunny Rome.
0: (laughs) Um how have things been i haven't we didn't talk last week
1: no it's been one of the really hectic periods of reporting from when you left Rome during the summit meeting on the protection of minors, then following with all that happened to Cardinal Pell and most recently the release of the the decision by the Pope to open the Vatican archives on the period of Pius XII.
0: Well, those are the three stories that we're going to be talking about this week. So um, let's get right into them. Our first story this week is the Abuse Summit. Now, Jerry and I didn't get a chance to update you on what happened after day one of the summit because I was out in Israel working on America's Holy Land pilgrimage. We're not going to break down what happened on every day of the summit, but we will talk about what's coming out of the summit and what happens next. So, when I was in Rome covering the summit with Jerry, it seemed like there were almost two meetings going on at the same time one of the bishops in the official halls of the Vatican, and another of the survivors on the streets. We would go from one press conference with the bishops, and when we went outside, there would be survivors ready to comment on the same things the bishops had just told us about. And the disagreement between the bishops and the survivors seemed to revolve around one thing what zero tolerance means. To the bishops, it seems to mean that a priest credibly accused of sexual abuse of a minor would be removed from ministry, but their survivor advocates believe that they should be removed from the priesthood.
1: If you remember, after the summit, I did an interview with uh, Archbishop Shikluna, who is now the Pope's right-hand man on uh, dealing with abuse cases. And he said very clearly that zero tolerance meant two things. One, the removal of the priest or bishop from the ministry if he has abused children. And secondly, the removal of the bishop or religious, head of religious order who covers up also from the ministry. Now, he, he said this is now acquired wisdom and it is the practice. The impression I got was that this is an expanding, a growing uh, practice in different countries, especially those countries which have faced the major abuse scandal.
0: Right. But when you say that that practice is growing, do you mean zero tolerance as removal from ministry or as removal from the priesthood? Because that's what this boils down to, right?
1: Well, what does removal from the ministry mean? It means you can no longer function as a priest. You can no longer uh, be working with children it's it's very clear you 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 don't celebrate public mass you 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 don't uh, preach in the church you don't hear confessions you don't administer the sacraments all that you are excluded from
0: right so i think what the survivors would ask then is like why not just take the next step and laicize them
1: yeah in other words the ultimate humiliation in in a way uh, I, I and this is what is happening i mean the the, the most recent case and it happened right before the The summit was the the removal of the former Cardinal McCarrick from the priesthood. And the high public cases earlier in the year were the cases in Chile, uh, where, uh, I don't know, three or four were removed from the priesthood. I I can't quite remember the exact number. But the Pope has made very clear that this is the direction he's going in.
0: But in his closing address at the summit, Pope Francis didn't use the term zero tolerance at all, which made some people question whether he really intended to enforce that policy.
1: There's a question here of, you know, if trust is broken, how do you rebuild trust? And obviously for many of these survivors, the trust is completely broken. And they are looking for very concrete action of a very definitive style to restore that trust. Uh, I understand some of the disappointment at the end because, one, that phrase wasn't used, and secondly, people are looking for immediate, immediate results. I, I think the Pope was looking at a broader span and looking for the involvement of the whole church in dealing with this problem, which is the only way that it will be eliminated. Because if you don't get the bishops in every country, uh, including the lay people, because they say, spoke about a synodal church which involves lay people, the, the sister, the religious women, the people who aren't uh, bishops or religious heads of religious orders, you're getting the whole church involved in this massive effort. And I think it will take some time, but uh, patience is is necessary.
0: I think it's difficult for those of us who live in places that have been dealing with the abuse crisis for a long time to hear people say that we need to be patient, because this crisis seems to go on and on. And it's true, Pope Francis has chosen to pursue a slower pace of change. He's opting to educate bishops to realize that sexual abuse is a problem everywhere— rather than issuing directives that they might ignore if they don't believe it's a problem. So now that everyone's been brought to the same page at this meeting, the Vatican is giving the bishops resources to establish the right protocols to take concrete actions against abuse in their dioceses. And one way they're doing that is by developing a handbook for bishops on how to deal with cases of abuse.
1: I mean, there were very concrete results because they're preparing a vade mecum. That's a kind of a handbook for bishops. What was bishops. that word? Vade mecum. It's a what hand- language. Is that <laughs> that's uh, Latin? Uh, that's what they called it, but we call it a handbook, a manual. If you wish, a handbook to guide bishops in the different countries in dealing with abuse. When an allegation comes, what do you do? Uh, what are the steps? And it, it will take them through step by step, and then it will also uh, speak about how you create an environment that's safe for children, how you deal with uh, ensuring justice for the victims, how you deal with a bishop who covers up. This is a handbook, and it will come out in some months because they're waiting for the revision of canon law.
0: Those canon law revisions deal with a huge range of issues that still aren't totally figured out. I'll tell you a few of the things they're talking about. One is making survivors part of the canonical trials of their abusers. So right now, when an alleged abuser is facing a church trial, their victim is left in the dark about the process. Sometimes they aren't even informed when a final verdict has been reached. So canon lawyers want to change that. They're also considering doing away with the pontifical secret. That's a classification for confidential documents when it comes to cases of sexual abuse. They're also working to change some legal specifics about abuse and child pornography that are part of the Vatican City State's laws to make them stricter.
1: They have to change the law. So that they, if and any legislation, you, you look at the U.S. Congress, how long it takes to pass legislation and then to implement it. So it, it's not uh, as, as if they're lagging behind in dealing with this. They have identified the loopholes that need to be closed. They have identified the additional steps that need to be taken. And then they will give an up-to-date manual to every bishop, handbook. And the bishop who fails to follow this will then be held accountable.
0: Our second story concerns Cardinal George Pell, an Australian cardinal who was one of Pope Francis's top advisors. He's been facing a series of trials about accusations of sexual abuse since summer 2017. These cases and the trials have been pretty complicated, but the basic story is that Pell was found guilty of five abuse offenses against two choir boys in the 1990s. He was found guilty on those counts in December, but the judge placed a gag order on the outcome of that trial because Cardinal Pell was facing another trial for a separate abuse allegation, and they didn't want the press coverage of the first case to influence the outcome of the second. Now the prosecution has decided not to pursue the second case because of insufficient evidence, so the gag order has been lifted on the guilty verdict from the first trial. Cardinal Pell is now in prison awaiting his appeal in June, and he still maintains his innocence. One of the things that came up in the abuse summit that also shows up in this story is just how differently the Vatican works from the rest of the world. While Cardinal Pell is sitting in prison awaiting his appeal, the Vatican has just now begun its own investigation of these cases. And the difference in the timelines and the way these trials are conducted led me to ask Jerry, what happens if Cardinal Pell's church trial has a different outcome than his civil trial? Are we supposed to consider him innocent or guilty? If you know the australian court maintains that he's guilty and the vatican maintains that he's innocent what is that what does that mean like what should we take from that and what did the consequences look like for him
1: look you've always got the difference between the church and the state and they do not necessarily uh, run on the same track
0: right right
1: uh, at the end of the day uh, we cannot pre prejudge what will come, if the appeal is rejected and the state uh, confirms his imprisonment and he uh, uh, upholds the conviction, then from the point of view of the state, he's, he's convicted, he's a criminal. If the church reaches a similar verdict as they did with McCarrick, then presumably it would follow the path that has happened with McCarrick that he would be removed from the ministry and re- removed from the priesthood. If, on the other hand, they, they judge that he is not uh, guilty, uh, then obviously he would not be removed from the ministry. So w- we have to wait and see. I-, I think by certainly by the end of the year much of this will be clear. Uh, the important thing right now is that action is being has been taken by the state and action is being taken by the church. The the Church is not ignoring this fact.
0: All of this news about Cardinal Pell's civil trial was coming out at the same time as the news about the sexual abuse summit. I asked Jerry if the handbook that's been discussed or the summit's findings would have changed how the Pell case was handled by the Church.
1: Yeah, the, uh, the question is whether, irrespective of a handbook or not, whether the Church should have considered opening an investigation when he had to go back to Australia to face the charges.
0: Right, right. So do you think, you know, if we were to have like a different case in which the police brought forward and made something public, do you think that now, you know, there would be a Vatican investigation opened immediately? Or do you think that it might still see some delays like we saw in this case?
1: Look, I I think that in the vet, in the thirty-four years or so since the church has begun to deal with the abuse question, there has been a learning curve. They've developed their practice. I, I think tomorrow, if something similar happened, uh, the the investigation would would be triggered very quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's good for us to have that kind of context. You know, it's easy to look at the situation now and be like nothing's changed. But but things have changed. Maybe not as much as people want them to, but slowly. Our last story today is that Pope Francis has decided to open the secret Vatican archives concerning Pope Pius XII, who was pope from the beginning of World War II all the way through 1958. Now, popes since John Paul II have been under pressure to open these archives in order to clarify what Pope Pius did or didn't do, particularly during World War II. Some people argue that he didn't do enough to stop the Holocaust, while others argue that he was doing a lot of behind-the-scenes work to fight the Nazis. But before we get into all that, I think it's good for us to review what the Vatican's secret archives are. They sound really intriguing, but in reality, they aren't that exciting. Even the secret part mostly just means personal files from popes. The secret archives were created in the 1600s, and in 1881, Pope Leo XIII opened them up to scholars. Researchers can still see the files today, but they can only request three folders of material each day, and none of the files are digitized. Now, usually a pope's files would be available to researchers 70 years after their pontificate's end, which would mean that Pius XII's files would be available in 2028. So these files will come out eight years early in 2020. So why, why did Francis decide to open these early? Was there pressure to do it?
1: John Paul II came under enormous pressure from Jewish groups and also some in the Catholic Church and other figures to open the archives. Benedict came under an enormous pressure. When Francis became Pope, they, they requested him as well to do it.
0: One of the Jewish groups that's been interested in this cause was the American Jewish Committee, which praised the decision to open the archive. I asked Jerry why it took so long for these archives to be opened after decades of pressure.
1: Because they have been working since the time of John Paul II. They have been working to catalog and to file and index all these documents. It has taken a long time because you're dealing with a mountain of work. Of documentation and you have to be able to read them to see what's in them to see how you document it It, it, it's not a day's work it's been involved many years work and I think maybe 15 people have been working on it
0: and these archives span not just World War II but a few tumultuous decades in world history
1: we're not only talking about the Holocaust here we're talking about much else what happened in near eastern europe what happened in in uh, in china what happened in vietnam we're talking about a lot of things that happened in that period a lot of repression where many people's lives were were, were lost what happened in russia uh, so th- these archives will throw a lot of light on these questions the focus has been on the holocaust what happened why the pope did or did not do things during the Holocaust. But the question is much, much broader.
0: Ultimately, these secret archives being opened will help historians more fairly evaluate the legacy of Pope Pius XII and the Church's role in key historical moments of the 20th century. Looking at our three stories today about the slow progress that the Sexual Abuse Summit has been part of about the differences between Cardinal Pell's civil and church trials, and then about the church opening its secret archives, whereas many governments keep theirs closed. One theme that emerges is just how different the Vatican is from the rest of the world. So I decided to ask Jerry about that. You said something earlier along these lines, that that the church and kind of the world, right, run on separate tracks. And I'm wondering if you have any insight into, like, why why is the Vatican so different from the rest of the world if it's if it's run by people right just like
1: the rest of the world the uh, Second Vatican Council they had one of the famous final documents Constitution they call was on the church in the modern world how the church relates to the modern world and how the modern world reacts to the church and th- this is the whole history of the of the church right how it's related to the roman empire how it related to the uh, ottoman empire how it related to the various uh, the austro-hungarian empire and the uh, rise of communism the rise of fascism and uh, today the rise of populism so you you have this interaction challenges and this is what we've seen in exactly these three stories we've touched on today
0: we'll be bringing you more stories from the intersection of the church and the world here on inside the vatican from america media before we go if you're enjoying the show maybe you've learned something new please leave us a review on apple podcasts it really helps us get the word out jerry thank you for all of your insights as always today
1: thank you too yeah and the pope will be on retreat next week so hopefully a slower news week He goes on Sunday and he is away for the week with all the Vatican people, the top officials, all the top officials.
0: Well, maybe we'll have slightly less to talk about next week, but I have a feeling that we won't.
1: I have a feeling we won't either, for sure.
0: Right. All right, Jerry, I'll see you next week. Inside the Vatican is produced by me, Colleen Dully. Our executive producer is Eric Sandra. Production assistance this week from Eloise Blondio. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Kieran Freeman. Inside the Vatican is Mixed by Oliver Lazarus. Our studio manager is Leopold Stupner. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media, I'm Colleen Dully with Gerard O'Connell. See you next week.